You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a collection of lectures by Rudolf Steiner entitled Inner Reading and Inner Hearing and How to Achieve Existence in the World of Ideas. This is lecture number two of part one entitled Identification with the Signs and Spiritual Realities of the Imaginative World given in Dornach on October 4th, 1914. We want now to take another close look at what I said yesterday about the true relationship of human beings to the world. I said it is, in fact, an instance of maya, a delusion, to assume that we, as soul-spiritual human beings, are within our skin, and the things are all around us, and that we take the representations of those things into ourselves, so to speak. In truth, as soul-spiritual human beings, we live inside the things, and we would not be able to perceive them if we did not receive our experiences of them as reflections from our organism. And indeed, as we live within the ordinary physical world, things are reflected to us by our physical organism, by its entire system of senses, from its system of thought, its system of feeling, and its system of willing. Therefore, our organism is in truth a mirroring device, and what we experience is not produced in us by our physical organism, an erroneous idea of materialism, but is reflected. Our organism no more produces what we experience in our souls about things than a mirror produces what we see in the mirror. Materialists who assert that the brain or another organ produces our soul experiences are saying the same thing as those who would assert that the image they see of their own face in the mirror does not belong to them, but is instead produced by the mirror. The truth of the matter must be experienced when one attains to inner reading in the manner described yesterday. After we have prepared ourselves, we experience the more evanescent, that is, in regard to the physical being, fluctuating beings and occurrences of the spiritual world. We see them in as much as we experience them in our astral body, reflected by our etheric body, and we experience these reflections as images. I said yesterday that in general we can regard the images experienced in this way only as signs of spiritual reality. And I attempted to make clear through a comparison the error people would commit if they regarded as reality what was experienced directly as dream images, though vastly more lively than ordinary dream images. That would be exactly the same as taking the word bow as reality instead of as a sign of a building. We must imagine that when we have attained the condition of receiving those delicately evanescent images of the spiritual world, 
reflected through our etheric body from outside inward, so we are, so to speak, standing before an open book, a book that has been opened for us, which we must learn to read properly. That is correct on the whole. But one thing is much more valid for experiences of the higher world than for the experiences of the physical world. Everything that is correct is subject to exceptions. And what I have just said is particularly subject to exceptions. You must know this, otherwise you cannot find your way in the spiritual world. What I have said is true in general, but it is subject to exceptions. To what extent it is subject to exceptions I will explain more concretely. I begin with a very particular case. Let us assume that someone who has to a certain extent developed clairvoyant powers is eager, let us take a case that is familiar to many people, to call up in the spiritual world a dead person, a person who recently or further in the past has gone through the portal of death and now lives in the spiritual world, in that life we have described as the life between death and a new birth. Now an encounter of this sort depends, as you can already understand from yesterday's lecture, on being blessed by the spiritual world, in order actually to behold the person in question. Normally mere curiosity will not be satisfied by an enterprise of this sort. Whoever undertakes from the beginning the business of calling up a dead person in the spiritual world merely with the purpose of satisfying curiosity must either see nothing or be exposed to all sorts of errors. However, let us assume that would not be the case, but that a reason recognized by the beings of the spiritual world as justified exists for one to meet this dead person. Assuming that everything is in order, to use a commonplace expression, one should to some extent meet the dead person. Now, once again, I am speaking entirely in generalities. It will not happen so easily that the clairvoyant in question transports himself or herself into the spiritual world and then directs his or her wants, desires or thoughts toward the deceased in order to be graced to some extent by that person's appearance. If it were undertaken or presupposed that a result of this sort could occur, one would be in error. As a rule, something entirely different happens. Please realize that one can only, use, can only describe specific cases, that one cannot use general abstract theories when discussing, as I am now, such a topic about the spiritual world. <laughs> I can only give an instance as an example. Let us assume that a seer might have a justified reason to come into contact with a particular dead person and, through meditation, through concentration, finds measures to contact this dead person. To describe these measures would lead us too far today, but let us assume that they are the right ones. In that case, if through meditation, concentration, the soul is really in the condition in which the departed can be perceived by the seer, the seer will perhaps then see something that he or she, if not already experienced in this area, could be very easily inclined not to regard 
as the appearance of the dead person or as something related to the dead person. The seer, perhaps, sees a world of images spreading out, a living world of images, which are much livelier than the images of ordinary dreams. I must emphasize this over and over again because it is usually portrayed erroneously. Ordinary dream images are chimeras, while these images are signs of the higher spiritual world. You must first learn to understand the world of signs. You experience within yourself moving images, happenings of all sorts, connected with this or that personality. That is what you experience. You can at first discover hardly any resemblance between what you have striven for and the images you then experience. However, one thing appears if you have not taken a false path. Within this animated world of images, you will experience something that seems to be the most important point in it. You will think that other images contain something familiar to you. They remind you of all sorts of things which could possibly be bobbing up from your memory. And although you could never have had precisely these incidents among your recollections, they could still, because they depend on what you have experienced, possibly be the memories of such experiences which have been invaded by fantasy images. Particularly here, true clairvoyants must be attentive. They must not forget that they are involved with a world of images, which could have constituted itself from their memories. But at a certain point, something appears that hides no recollection of this sort. One must distinguish exactly between what could be constituted from our fantasy and what, among the images, is the one thing around which everything else comes together. You must recognize that it would never have come from memory, also that it could never have entered your field of vision from the dream world. Naturally, you have a certain practice in order to distinguish dream images from reality and to observe this distinction precisely. But then you come to the point of recognizing that something is there around which everything else is gathering. Normally, I am trying to speak precisely, the situation is that this one thing, in the middle of all others, can appear in a certain sense paradoxical, even absurd. The situation is that something remarkable, something very strange, appears in a sequence of images of this sort, which is otherwise so beautiful, so magnificent, so powerful. Now it will very often happen that this kind of thing flows away again, goes away, so that the seer can more or less get nowhere with it. Then you must, of course, take up the experiment once again, from scratch, and usually those who have a certain practice in the visionary art will once again be successful. They will see such a series of images, one after another, perhaps a new series of images of a completely different sort. But once again, something will show itself in the midst, which is the same as what one has already seen as the midpoint of a series of images. To find the right thing amongst the series of images on the first or second attempt 
you must have attained a certain degree of seeing. When you have the series of images before you, you must become completely calm and self-aware and really live within the image with your self-consciousness so that it does not escape like a dream picture. You must confront it just as you do an object in the external world. You must have control of yourself so that you know it is you yourself who perceives and that the image is over there. You must be able to differentiate yourself from the image and not become absorbed by it. In order to achieve this, one would do well first to try, while the image is still there, to alter something within it. Let us suppose, for example, that the image is there and that you have successfully distinguished yourself from the image. Then suppose that a certain personality who looks disagreeable, unfriendly, appears in the world of images. Try to capture the feeling of how it would be if you were really nice to this personality, so that it would look at you in a friendlier way after giving you such a dirty look. If you succeed in consciously altering something in the world of images, then you have an easier time establishing your position in relation to that world. The next step must be, it is difficult to find an expression, for the things of the spiritual world are so different from those of the physical world, that you must really identify yourself with all the images there. You must dive into them, must become one with them. For by becoming one with them, you fulfill an important truth. To use a trivial expression, you must spiritually eat the whole series of images, gulp them right down, assimilate them, identify with them, dive down into the series of images. That means you must know that you have differentiated yourself from the series of images and maintained your position outside them. And now you dive down of your own free will into them as if you were jumping into water to swim in it. And now comes the most important thing. For now you experience in your own soul everything that is expressed in this series of images. If, for example, one person fights or wounds another, you experience yourself as the inflictor of the wound and also as the soul that is wounded or attacked. You are everything in these images. You are utterly within them. If you had an image in front of you in which a beheading is depicted, you, your, you experience yourself at the same time as the person who is beheaded and the person who does the beheading. That is how you experience yourself within this very fluctuating world of images. You yourself are every image and every movement in it. The image as such, as an imagination, becomes invisible, but the inner experiences become so much more significant. You now cease to see the image, but you are in the midst of a rich experience in it. <laughs> if you really succeed in living within the images, 
then the second act of the whole affair begins. However, it does not necessarily follow immediately. From this point on, many discouraging things may befall the visionary. It can happen that when you decide to dive down into the image, to swim in it, it takes off like a dream or something you have forgotten. That is entirely possible. Only in the rarest cases will it happen that one immediately has the experience I will now talk about. Most of the time, the situation is that the image appears to have totally vanished, like a vanished dream. Now, as true clairvoyance, we must clearly understand that it does not have to be the case that the image has disappeared. It can be that what, in the rarest cases, happens right after the disappearance of the image does not come until much later. It can come out of day or night experiences, right in the midst of them. For it is very often the case that what you have eaten must first be digested in the soul, which can take a while. However, when it has been sufficiently digested, sufficiently uni unified with you, then you know that you are in connection with the personality, with the individuality of the dead person, and it, and it sends its own thoughts into you. <clears throat> now you think the soul experiences of the dead person. You are in connection with that person who now speaks with you and you hear. In truth, it is the image you have united with or the series of images that you have taken up, carry within, and are now one with, that really hear the truth and take up the truth. And usually it is the case that this hearing, as spiritual hearing, is no longer tied to images, but is carried by the consciousness that the soul of the visionary has connected with the dead person in question, allowing it to say what is no longer heard with the ear, nor noticed by the physical gaze, but is directly taken up by thought. You know it is not your thought, it is what the dead person is speaking to you. As you can see, a certain preparation is required to approach a dead individuality, a preparation that can be described as I have just done. If you have reached the stage of hearing the dead person after identifying with the image, then any delusion is impossible. For a delusion could appear only in the same way as a delusion on the physical plane when you meet a certain person and mistake him for another. Usually you won't do that. You recognize a person on the physical plane through that person, him or herself. When, for example, you run into Mr. Lowe on the physical plane, you do not need to prove to yourself from theoretical principles that it is Mr. Lowe. The being one meets reveals that. Likewise, in the spiritual world, you also know that you are facing a being when it speaks to you in an obviously spiritual manner, communicates in a spiritual manner. What I have just described is the transition from reading an extremely ambiguous sign not by interpreting it with the intellect, but by taking it 
within yourself, becoming one with it, devouring it, in a manner of speaking, to spiritual hearing. Through the living process you effect, through uniting with the image in your soul, you prepare yourself to really hear the objective being spiritually. Reading is a living process, a process that is really alive. You must throw your soul into the matter. Something much different is demanded of you than what is demanded on the physical plane. It is most comparable to the situation we would be in on the physical plane if someone gave us a book and demanded that we should eat it in order to read and understand it. If we were set up to digest an capital A in a different way than a capital I, because we had a different inner processes in digesting the letters A and I, this process would be comparable to the spiritual processes described. We do not approach a spiritual process or a spiritual being before we have devoted our entire soul to understanding the being or process in question. We must ourselves become one with the sign or letters of the spiritual world. We must read them and then while we read them, hear them in spirit. I said that this is valid in general. One must in fact speak very precisely in the field of spiritual science. I said in general for there are indeed exceptions. It can, for example, happened that a seer in the condition of spiritual beholding not only experiences a series of images, as I have just described, but really experiences as an image, as an imagination, something that is similar to the dead person in question, as he or she was in outward appearance in life. The seer in question can of course know that it is the dead person, but can never know it for certain. It can be right, but it doesn't need to be entirely right. To explain this I will reach for a comparison. Our ordinary writing, printing or cursive consists of signs. When I write the word quote, B-A-U, close quote, which means building, the word has no similarity with our building out there. However, it was not always so in the course of the development of writing. If we go back to ancient times, we find pictograms. Back then people made pictures, which were still similar to the objects the pictures were supposed to represent. And from this picture writing, the first writing in signs and letters developed. The situation is the same with the relationship between the clairvoyance we strive for with our Rosicrucian method and the atavistic more or less primitive clairvoyance that can appear in many people through certain preconditions. Just as our writing consists of signs and letters, excuse me, let me read that again, just as our writing consisting of signs and letters is something that has evolved, and pictograms are more primitive, clairvoyance in our sense is something that has evolved, and the sight that brings the vision to expression in dream images is more primitive. <clears throat> Precisely the evolved clairvoyance will often not be able to behold the vision in an image. 
The situation for developed clairvoyance will usually be as I have described. However, exceptions do indeed occur, and people without particular development, purely from the resources of their organism, may become clairvoyant and perceive many more images that are similar to spiritual processes than the developed clairvoyant who has first carried out all the procedures I have described. But through primitive clairvoyance they can never get to the point of learning anything with certainty, and even what can be learned with certainty in this manner are only events that depend on earthly life. Let us say, for example, that someone has died and has left behind a will without being able to tell anyone where the will is deposited. The person dies. A personality with the preconditions of untrained clairvoyance arrives on the scene and, possibly in a trance-like condition of imagination, is brought into relation with the dead person in question. And the untrained seer can then perceive the thoughts of the dead person about where the will was deposited, seeing the image of the place, a, a cabinet, for example, that can happen. But these cases always depend on the external physical plane, on something that happened on the physical plane. The things involved could be more complicated, but they are always dependent on the physical, the earthly plane. One will not get much further in this field of primitive clairvoyance. In order to proceed further and have contact with the spiritual world in a truly clear and certain way, the preparations I have spoken of are indeed necessary. Now I must tell you something still more precise, so that in the following lectures we can go into the particulars of spiritual reading and hearing. I said that what lies behind the maya of outward appearance what is inside things becomes a truth the moment we enter the spiritual world. It becomes a truth, as I have explained to you in each concrete incidence. It is not enough that we perceive any particular image through clairvoyance and see the image in front of us as we see entities of the physical world. That is not enough we must arrive at the point of diving down into the images, of really casting ourselves into them. We must consciously do what we also do in ordinary life, only we do not do it consciously in that case. We must really go into the image. If I perceive a series of images with the midpoint I have described, I must go outside of myself. I must enter into this series of images, must devour them, swallow them up. I must be right in them. Now, what I have descri described can appear as a spiritual experience, but we do not really understand it. To understand it, we must be able to exercise spiritual self-observation during the process of diving into it. When we dive down into such a series of images, something happens in us that we sense in ourselves. Reflect now on exactly how it is when you first understand your position in relation to imaginative images, and then on how it is when you dive down into the series of images. 
The feeling is entirely different when we consciously stand before the images than it is when we have dived down into them. I will try to describe how these two feelings are different. The moment we dive into the images, we know that we have made them disappear because we have identified with them. In that moment, we are seized by a feeling of insufficiency concerning ourselves. We become aware, these things are hard to describe, that we are indeed really now only a piece of what we were when we stood in our previous standpoint. We are only a piece of it. We must, of course, make this observation often so that we enter entirely into things and achieve the ability to interpret them correctly. It is best to characterize such things through analogies. Let us say it feels as if you had a weight of 12 kilos, which, without anything else happening, suddenly became only a one kilo weight. You feel as if you are only a twelfth of yourself and the other eleven twelfths are outside in the world. You can draw a symbol of what has happened to you. You feel yourself somewhere outside in the world, but you do not feel yourself there with your entire being. Rather, you feel that eleven-twelfths of yourself are out there in the world, that you have been split up. You can express it symbolically by saying that you are at one point on the circle and the other eleven-twelfths are divided up over the rest of the circle. You are A, and there's a drawing, and there, two, three, four, and so forth, are the other eleven-twelfths. Now, it is really quite true that you are out there in the world. You have become a twelfth of yourself and have left the other eleven twelfths lying in a circle, so to speak. We can give it a name with an expression from esotericism. You have transformed yourself into the zodiac. You have yourself become the zodiac. And from now on, what you hear comes to you from within this zodiac. Therefore, using the earlier example, the dead person speaks to you from within the zodiac. Consider what is present here in contrast to perception in the physical world. In the physical world we are enclosed in our skin and things are on the outside. They apparently come into us when we gaze at them. In the case of spiritual perception, we stand on the outside at one point a twelfth of the horizon, and we gaze inward from there. Now we have the world we are looking at within the zodiac. We are gazing from the outside inward. In ordinary life we look outward from within, and we perceive what we encounter there inside us as a spiritual voice with which the dead person speaks to us, because we become accustomed to listening in different ways to paying attention in different ways. <laughs> I will speak more precisely on this subject, but first I want to explicate it for you through the symbol. We can, for example, get the feeling that we can best perceive what the dead person is saying when we direct our spiritual ear in the direction toward the spiritual number five. <clears throat> Now the entity stops speaking at that point, 
but we hear it when we direct our spiritual ear to another point, 11. And I'm going to put an aside in here. You can almost imagine a clock, and you're standing at the 11 o'clock position. He then has an, a line that goes uh, over to the five, uh, to actually the, pretty much the four o'clock position, which is where the five is, and then another line, pretty much at a right angle from that 11 o'clock position, that goes to the nine o'clock position. There's sort of a right angle even described there. End of aside. We learn gradually to recognize that we must distinguish within the circle seven voices, which are so different that we perceive them in a different way according to whether they are heard from one or another point. Everything we perceive speaks as if it were coming from seven voices within the circle. We can also express it this way. We have gone into the periphery of the world. What we are to perceive is within this periphery. We must learn to feel ourselves as a part of the periphery and must, I will say, in cosmic humbleness, not make any demand to be anything other than a twelfth of the periphery. However, we must ask the other eleven twelfths for aid and must assume that they are outside of us ourselves. We must attempt to acquire a power of discernment for what speaks to us there. We must discern how everything a cosmic being can say to us can vary in the most differing ways. Here we once again clarify the subject through a comparison. We can, in fact, call what speaks to us within this circle spiritual vowels, and everything we ourselves are in the circumference of the circle and what lies in the circumference are spiritual consonants. Consonants and vowels work together. Consonants remain still because we have poured out our own being into the universe, and vowels because they move about inside, thereby bring to expression what needs to be said. Once again, I come back to our example of seeking to meet with a dead person. I get to the point that a series of images appears, and in the middle of this series is something that appears to me to be paradoxical, something that seems absurd. I understand perfectly well that it is something I could not have received from the sources of the inner being of my soul. I get to the point of diving down to become one with the series of images. While I am diving down into the series, I am in this particular point, point A on the drawing, and all around eleven twelfths of my being have released themselves. For that reason I said, remember that one must speak precisely when speaking of esoteric things, that the series of images belongs to us. We have nothing inside us other than the, quote, enjoyed, Close quote, series of images. It stands there in the one-twelfth see drawing on the following page. The rest, which cannot become one with this series of images, distributes itself outside in the periphery. And then we can succeed sooner or later in receiving in truth the spiritual voice, the communication of the dead.
then we actually hear the dead person speaking from the periphery we have formed around what we wish to connect with. What have we done, really? We have gone outside ourselves and have become one with the world, but only with one part of the world. We have grasped what we wished to perceive with all our being. We have, so to speak, formed a spiritual aura around the dead person. We cannot form it completely, however. We can stand only at one point and must form the aura out of what we are not. We can say that we perceive a series of images. First we stand outside the series, then we dive down into it. In that process we form with what we have devoted, sacrificed, a world sphere around what we wish to perceive. This world sphere contains within itself, like seven planets, the vowel system through which the being in question can speak with us when we ourselves, through the twelve-fold nature of our being, form the system of consonants. We can only come into rapport with the being of the spiritual world by enclosing it, enclosing it in such a way that this enclosing forms the cosmic consonants. The being itself can then address us in the cosmic vowels. And when the cosmic vowel system can work together with the cosmic consonant system that we ourselves have formed, then reading and hearing work together. Then we penetrate into a particular region of the spiritual world. I ask you now not to let yourselves be led by what I have just said to the erroneous conclusion that what I have described relates in any way to the physical zodiac or the seven planets. That is not the case. It wasn't meant that way. Rather, it is true that during each time we form, so to speak, a world sphere in the twelve-fold part around the particular being we wish to perceive. We form everywhere a world for ourselves. It is indeed true that if we wish to know something completely on the physical plane, we must look at it from many sides, from many points of view. We must go all around it. In the spiritual world, it must become for us a reality that we do not go around it with our whole being. Rather, we must divide up our being, so that we create a periphery around which we wish to perceive. Every time a real spiritual perception occurs, we have created such a spiritual periphery. And only because the divine beings we have come to know in the higher hierarchies have done this macrocosmically has the zodiac appeared before us. Suppose now that what I have described has occurred, that communication with the dead has taken place, and imagine that such a communication could be in a particular moment, now, let us say, kept and hardened. This hardening would represent a human being, a spiritual human being, obviously, divided up into twelve parts, twelve fixed stars. If what has been perceived were kept in a fixed form, it would represent a planetary system. 
Because the gods did this with an especially great plan, our universe came into being. While we create something transitory in each individual act of clairvoyance, our entire universe is the fixed and retained clairvoyance of the gods, of the higher hierarchies. For this reason also we can only know this world when we know it in its spiritual foundations. The physical is something that is not at all real, as unreal as the flowing water of the Rhine I gave as an example yesterday. Only the spiritual is real. We must become acquainted in reality with the solar system by deciphering in spiritual reading and hearing what lies behind it. In many respects we have already done that. Tomorrow we will speak about what is yet to be said concerning this. The end of Lecture 2